Very good. Thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate that. <clears throat> Have you had a good meal? Yeah. Are you now all full and sit down and start nodding off? <laughs> Gonna have to try to keep you awake in the next few moments. Um, we had a, just a wonderful candlelight service this last Monday. Instead of having a Wednesday night midweek, we had the Monday night midweek, and that was for our candlelight service. Uh, the count was about 181 in the auditorium, so I guess there was even more than that in other places. But man, that was a, I remember looking out that night. We had. It was a half, could have been half, at least a third of the congregation were visitors and from folks from the community and all. And what a great outreach. What, it was just wonderful. And uh, y'all did so well and, and was so inviting and, and uh, uh, extended your uh, good wish of, of a Merry Christmas to everybody that was here. I really appreciate everything. It was a blessing, able to, to make the gospel clear to those that came, and so what a blessing. Uh, in the outline, or in the bulletin, you'll see uh, we're at Psalm 19, verse 12, I believe it is. We only got two more uh, verses, so that means two more weeks in this last year, so we're actually going to go into first couple of weeks into this next year to actually finish off our uh, memorization program. So uh, Psalm 19, what a great, what a great Psalm to memorize. Don't forget about that. And we'll, like I say, we'll go ahead and finish it up in the next couple of weeks. And then we'll collect all of the, the uh, um, uh, recitations of the, of the, the scripture and we'll, we'll close out the year. It's, a, it's been a, a blessing for those that have memorized this last year. It's been tremendous. I just enjoyed it. I enjoyed it tremendously. But like I said, we've got another couple of weeks to finish it off, so make sure that you, you get that in if you, if you uh, need to do that. In Ezekiel chapter 46, verse number 9, I'd like to go ahead and quickly, because people are full and they're tired and they're sitting down, and so I probably don't have you long. I mean, I could keep you long, but I don't have you long, if you understand what I'm saying. So uh, I'm going to try to just go ahead and, and go through this, and, and uh, we'll get some idea of a contrasting worship and talking about worship, worship in the Old Testament, worshiping the, the King of Kings, but then uh, what it means to us today. 2019, I'd like to have some great church services. I'd like to have a great uh, reception of the Word of God. I'd like to have effective church services that all of us can partake in and, and could be a part of. So I'm going to try to make this practical in many ways to just talk about this coming year, how we can make church services to be God-honoring and effective to each one of us. So in Ezekiel chapter 46 and verse number 9, the Bible says, But when the people of the land shall come before the Lord in the solemn feasts, he that entereth in by the way of the north gate to worship shall go out by the way of the south gate. And he that entereth by the way of the south gate shall go forth by the way of the north gate. He shall not return by the way of the gate whereby he came in, but shall go forth over against it. So whichever way that you come into the temple, you go, don't go out the same gate that you came in. Make sure that you go out a different gate, the one opposite to the one that you came in. And, and God laid these out for a reason. We're not actually given the reason. We can kind of assume some things, and we are going to do that in just a little bit. 
But it's interesting how that the Lord said, this is how I want you to worship when you come. You, you uh, stand before me and you offer your, your gifts, your sacrifices, your worship, your honor to me. This is how you do it. When you come in, whichever door you come in, let's say if this is the, the temple and it's not the church building, but if you came in that door, you go out that door. If you come in this door over here, you go out that door. If there was a door back here, then you go out the front door. So he says, make sure this is how you worship. This is what happens when you come to worship. So let's stop, ask the Lord's blessings as we get into his word. Lord, I thank you for this, your word. I pray that you help us to see some, some things that would be important for us to learn how to, how to, to uh, attend uh, Wooden Valley Baptist Church. Lord, I thank you for giving us a great year. I thank you for giving us some great people and some people that love you and that have true piety, that wants, want to serve you and, and serve you in holiness and in consecration. Lord, I pray that you'd sharpen us up. You'd help us to, to be, pay attention to what you want us to be and how you want us to be, our demeanor, when we come to God's house. Lord, I pray that you just bless, bless in all that's said and done in the next few moments in Jesus' name. Amen. We'd like to... Move into 2019 with church services that honor the king. And so we learn of some valuable things in this chapter. This chapter that God deals with uh, worship in the Old Testament that we're going to apply for us today. But this worship, the worship that God prescribed was unique, was different. Some of these things are, are very contrasting. And so we're looking at the contrast in worship. So take, let's go back to the first verse of Ezekiel chapter 46. You'll see something that God says that's going to be different about worshiping the king. Uh, verse number one. Thus saith the Lord God, the gate of the inner court that looketh toward the east shall be shut six working days, but on the Sabbath it shall be open, and in the day of the new moon it shall be open. So he starts out here, and by the way, he noticed this, it's the eastern gate that he's talking about, but um, he says, okay, when you come to worship, this is what's going to happen. <clears throat> All week long... The doors are going to be shut. But on the Sabbath day, on the Sabbath, he says, it shall be opened. The temple doors were closed during the week, but once every week in the appointed time of gathering together for worship, they were to be opened. They were to be opened on the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath could mean many things. When God spoke to his people in the Old Testament, maybe a little bit of a Sunday school lesson here about what the Sabbath means. The Sabbath was different than any and every other day of the week. It was a time that God prescribed and requested their attendance at his altars. It wasn't just time of rest or time of no work, but it was a time that they also got together and worshipped. And he says, okay, so on the Sabbath day, when I ask you to come before me to worship, this is how you do this. And it's different than every other day of the week. Today in this dispensation, in this time where we are in the church age, after the appearance of the explanation of the sacrifice for sin, we don't worship with an offering for sin of a lamb or a bullock. We don't come to church and we sacrifice and burn an, a, a, a carcass. We don't do that. We don't use the altar, which is actually called a killing place. That's what the altar means. It's a killing place, which is, by the way, a great place to take things that you need to end their reign in your life, bring it to the altar, the killing place in your life. But we don't do that with an animal anymore because that was Old Testament. It was just looking forward <coughs> to Christ. But uh, we do follow the pattern that was given to us by the Lord's early church of meeting together for worship on the first day of the week. The Sabbath, Old Testament, that's Saturday actually, that's the last day of the week, 
but the, the Christian worships on the first day of the week. I know you got seven-day Adventists and seven-day Baptists and different, different groups that will say, you're part of the Antichrist or the, the you know, harlot church if you worship on a Sunday like we do. But actually, it's what the Bible prescribes. If you take a look at it, and it's not something that's a Catholic thing that they changed in the first centuries and whatever. No, it's right from the very beginning. What happened was Jesus said that he was going to rise from the dead, and he did, and he rose from the dead on Sunday or the first day of the week. The disciples from the start after the cross as a celebration, remembrance of the resurrection. Matthew chapter 28, verse number 1. In the end of the Sabbath, that was Saturday, in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week. Okay, so now it's, it's dawning on Sunday morning as the first day of the week. Came Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, to seek, to seek the sepulcher. And, and you know what happened there. That's when they found the empty tomb and, and whatever. He rose on the first day of the week. That's when they discovered the empty tomb. Mark chapter 16, verse number 9. Now when Jesus was risen early, the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene. Okay, so it says he, he rose on the first day of the week. And so is it any wonder that Christians would celebrate the pinnacle of our, our faith? If we don't have the resurrection, we have nothing. And you got these groups that are saying, well, we should worship on Sabbath because that's what... Yeah, right, that's what God ordered the, the uh, uh, Old Testament Jew to do, but we are not. We are a Gentile, Gentile church where, where those in the church, which is not Israel, they're two different even though there's some similarities of spirituality, that kind of thing. But we're, they're two different groups. Israel and the promises to Israel, the land, the, the seed and the throne, which God will keep all of those promises. And as a matter of fact, in Ezekiel, the uh, prior few chapters, deals with that, that very thing where God's going to come through and he's going to give his promise. He's going to make it good about uh, um, uh, rescuing the nation of Israel, not just spiritual Israel, but the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. But nonetheless, so here we are. We are a Gentile church with that we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ on the first day of the week. I don't understand how um, somebody who's a seven-day Adventist or a seven-day Baptist or whatever that, that affirm we should worship on, on Saturday instead of the first day, the last day instead of the first day. I don't understand that because that's not what the disciples did, not from the very start, because of the resurrection, the linchpin of our faith. John chapter 20, verse number 19. Then the same day at even, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. So here, the first day of the week. Okay, and this is, maybe they didn't, at this point, they didn't understand why or what, but nonetheless, they were together on the first day of the week, on Sunday, that's when Jesus appeared to them. And then in uh, John chapter 20, verse 26, after eight days, again, his disciples were within. If you start from Sunday and count the next uh, eight days to the next Sunday, that's what he's talking about, being the first day. Uh, after eight days, again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Here again, again, on that same day. There you go. The disciples were together. Thomas missed that day. He missed that first Sunday night service. <laughs> Boy, did he ever miss something. Don't ever miss a service. I mean, you never know what God's going to do in the service time. I've seen the, some of the most nonchalant, some the, the common, every day we're going over the same things, and somebody gets touched by the Lord, somebody gets convicted. I've seen that many, many times where you say, well, what's going on in this person's life? But 
That's the time that God says, you know, he, he kind of wakes him up spiritually. Don't ever miss a, a, a Sunday as Thomas did. Boy, he, did, he missed it. But they, they got together and the first two Sundays, the, the uh, disciples were together. But that was the, the progress. Acts chapter 20, verse number 7. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together, when did they come together? They came together to break bread on the first day of the week. Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. Hmm, I see, it's now 1.46, so I've got another, uh, just 10 more hours of a message. So don't worry, it's going to be short. <laughs> And some of you complain for the length of the service. Come on. Anyway, um, what does it say? It says they gathered on the first day of the week. What are they doing gathering on the first day of the week? You think that it could be because Christ rose on the first day of the week and we're celebrating what Jesus did, victory over the grave. He paid my sin in full, and now I'm accepted in the beloved because of what Jesus did came out of the grave on the first day of the week. And sure enough, they're meeting on the first day of the week. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse number 2. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him his door as God hath prospered him. It's talking about the collection and you know giving and, and giving on a uh, regular basis. Why did he say upon the first day of the week? If they didn't meet, that's what they were. That's what their custom was. Don't you believe somebody that says, "Oh yeah, Catholics after the first couple of centuries, and that's what they did." And now you know people are meeting on the first day of the week on Sunday. Oh come on, it's bib- biblical. It's Bible. It's what they did. They met on the first day of the week. That's incontrovertible. So, as a matter of custom, John the Revelator he was having a church service all by himself on Patmos, Revelation chapter one and verse number ten. Here's where John. Uh, was exiled, he was boiled in oil and lived. They usually don't live from that. But he was scarred and, and he was uh, uh, crippled from that whole thing and he was left to die on a rock where there was nobody. He was left, to, he was exiled on a place where there was no inhabitants and he was there. And that's where God showed him our great book of the Revelation. Oh man, that's why we call him John the Revelator. It says in, in Revelation 1.10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, that's Sunday. I was on, in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet and then you know the rest of the story. Wow. But the Bible says that he was in the spirit on Sunday. You know, he was by himself, but his practice was they gathered together with Christians on Sunday and he says, you know what? This is Sunday. Nobody's here and I'm uh, exiled to this prison. I'm going to die here. But you know what? This is where Christians get together and they worship God. So he got in the spirit and I don't know if he had scriptures or memorized scriptures or whatever, but he got to the place where he was going to church if it's himself alone. You know what I mean? He had a worship service on the, 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 the Lord's day. He was in the spirit. Amen. What a blessing. Don't you ever think that the little that you have to give to the Lord is not appreciated Anything, anything is appreciated. He didn't have much to give, did he? He gave it to the Lord and said, Lord, this is all I got, but here I am. And and the Lord said, you know what? I'll take that. Get your pen. This is going to be good. (laughs) And he gave him the revelation. Wow. So in Ezekiel's day, the worship day was different than any other day. The worship day then was Sabbath. That's when they got together and and the Lord said, okay, on Sabbath, I, I request your attendance at my gathering. At the temple. 
And so he says, this is the day that you worship. The worship day, that worship day, once a week, was different than any other day. The doors were open for activity. Doors were shut all week, but it was opened on the worship day. So their worship day was different than any other day of the week. Hey, folks, you know what? Our Sunday, first day of the week when we get together, our Sunday should be different than every other day of the week. It should be the pinnacle of the week. When it comes to our relationship with the Lord, it should be Sunday. We should look forward to Sunday. We should pray for Sunday. We should, we should have a time where we gather, gather together on Sunday, and folks, that should be different. Our Sundays should differ from the rest of the week, from the rest of our lives. It should be, first of all, given to him all day. How about you do that? How about you just give God Sundays? And so when, when we come to the first day of the week that, that believers did that, how about you just give it to God and say, you know what? Come whatever, I'm going to be in church. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to worship God on Sunday because that's his day. First day of the week. It's a worship day, just like God required it once a week back then. Here we are. And we have Sundays. How about give it to him all day long? How about uh, Sunday should be for spiritual activity, for reading the Bible or memorizing and praying or, or teaching and learning, teaching the Bible or learning the Bible, taking it in, being exposed to the word of God. Amen. Or maybe we can work for him. You know, if you're teaching a Sunday school class or you're driving a van or you're, you're cleaning up or whatever, by the way, there's a lot of work that happens when we do this. You know, the... the um, uh, whatever we had there, the feast. That was great, by the way. That was wonderful. Thank you, everybody, that that did everything that you you did. And uh, I was a beneficiary of most of it. <laughs> but it takes work. A lot of cleanup, a lot of work, a lot of, lot of, you know, preparation. Ladies that prepared and cooked, or maybe some of you men, man, it took a lot of work to do that. Thank you. But you know what? It's okay. It's okay to labor for the Lord. It's okay to get tired for him. To work for him. Folks, we should do that. And, and when we come together for him, and if it's God's day and he requires some labor, why don't, let, really, why don't you teach a class? Are you able to? Can you? Do you know that we have classes that, are, that we really have need of some teachers to pour their lives into young little girls or young little boys into, or, or to some age category that, man, we need a teacher. How about that? Well, if I do that, that means I got to study every week, and that means I got to pray, and I got to visit, and I got to, uh, too much work. Hey, how about laboring for the Lord? Give God a, a, one day a week, because it's different than every other day of the week. That's what he says. Each one of us should consecrate Sunday in our heart for the Lord. Okay, so number one, the worship day is different. Number two, in this chapter, the worshipers, that's us, the worshipers demeanor is different. We, we read that verse, Ezekiel 46, verse number 9. But when the people of the land shall come before the Lord in the solemn feast, he that entereth in by the way of the north gate to worship shall go out by the way of the south gate. See, that's north. So he says, if you came in by this, that gate or that door, you go out by the door that would be over here if we had a square temple like they had a square temple and, and four, four entrances. So he says, he that entereth in by the way of the north gate to worship shall go out by the way of the south gate. He that entereth in by the way of the south gate shall go forth by the way of the north gate. He shall not return by the way of the gate whereby he came in, but shall go forth over against it. Notice that they're not instructed to, to go out the adjacent door. You know, like if you come in the north door, don't go out the east door. No, no, if you come, out, come in the north door, all the way to the opposite door, the south you come in the, the uh, 
west door, you go out the east door. It's the, the one that's opposite of the door that you came in. A totally different door. They're not to leave the same way they came. Signifying that the ones who come to worship are to leave changed. They're to leave different than the way that they came. Folks, how, man, that is, that is precious for us to get this thought. When God says, you come to worship before me, don't leave the same way that you came in. You, you allow my word, my spirit to change you, to amend you, to do a work in your heart. Don't go out the same way you came in. Every service were to be confessing or listening or heeding the word of God or molded, pliable to the Lord in any way that he's going to be speaking to us. And since we know that every common way of man is different than every way of God, then change is inevitable if God has his way with us. Because the Bible says, Isaiah 55, 8, for my thoughts, God says, are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. How many times have I counseled people that, well, this is what I think, preacher. Well, good. I'm glad you think that. What does God think? What does God say about this situation? What does God say about, you've got a problem. What does God say? Does he have something to say about it? It's probably not what you think. It's probably not the way that you want to go. Why? Because my thoughts are not his thoughts. He says, hey, we think differently. And he, he goes on to say, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Verse 10, For as the rain cometh down and snow from heaven and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, void but it shall accomplish that which I please. It shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. When God's word has his way with us, then, folks, we will be affected. We will be changed. We will be improved. We'll be spiritually fed. We'll be enlightened. We'll be instructed. We'll be warned. We'll be guided. We'll be made happy. In some way, we'll be challenged from God's word because it's effective. And he says, hey, listen, don't come to church in the same way or don't leave church in the same way in which you came. It's different. You should be different. You should, have, you should have a different demeanor, a different attitude. You should be challenged some way. Don't leave in the same condition you came in. It ought to bug you. It ought to bug you, believer, not to be challenged every time that you're in God's house. Uh-huh. Another service. Okay, let's go home and just leave. Anything change? Anything different? No. It's just the same. Didn't learn anything. There's no challenge. You know, we, we probably should hang a plaque right out the front door, wherever door you leave, and it should say these words. Did you get something from being in the services today? It's a good question that all of us should ask. Did I get something? Was I listening? Did the Spirit of God speak to me in any way today? Did I get something from being in the services today? And if you haven't, if you didn't, if you weren't moved, 
If you didn't experience God, if you didn't feel the influence of the Holy Spirit in some way, the admonition, the comfort of the Spirit or the challenge of the Spirit, then you should turn around and get back to the altar and repent. Because God says, I don't want you to come in the house, the house of God like that. You leave changed. You leave affected. You leave when you're amended by the word, by my spirit. He says, and he's very clear about that. Don't leave the same way that you came in. And you know, if you do leave in the same way, this is a problem sometimes. This is what happens. You leave the same way and I didn't get nothing out of, out of that. Why? I heard that message before. Well, you, you, you may not have heard that message before because, first of all, your preacher doesn't preach the same messages. I might take parts of this and parts of that and, and be dealing with the same subjects many, many times. Like this morning, we're, we're dealing with a new year. Well, you're dealing with new things, and so you deal with the subject of being new and whatever, try to make it applicable. And I've, I've spoken to those, those subjects before. When we have a candlelight service, boy, I don't know how to change that one because you're talking about the light of God and, you know, whatever. And so, you know, it might, might be some of the same things. So, so you hear some of the same things. And so it's the preacher's fault, right? It's, it's the pastor's fault. And so you leave and you say, you know what? I didn't get nothing from, from church today. And it's because the preacher is not bringing anything else. You know what? If I do nothing but read the Bible, Amen. which we read enough of the Bible to make a difference. If it's just God's word and we read God's word, that's enough. Because it's not my thoughts or your thoughts. It's his thoughts. And it, and it is effective. It's not the Bible's fault. It's not God's fault. It's, listen, if you leave here and you don't get anything and you're not moved, mark it down. It's not God's fault. God says that the Bible shall not return unto me void. The word works. It always works. It works every time. Even a reading of it is enough for God to use. Don't blame this one on the church or the speaker or the temperature of the auditorium or even fellow believers. Yeah, I get something, but I, you know what? Sometimes somebody's so preoccupied of what's going on in their life or something that they've been aggravated about, they get nothing from the service. That's God's fault? Excuse me. I think that might be your fault of focus. I think that might be my fault when I don't allow the, the Lord to say, hey, Lord, I need some help today. Speak to me about something. And, and he speaks to me, and I'm listening. But no, I'm, I'm, I'm too preoccupied. I'm not allowing him to speak to me. Because I'm not even, I don't even have my mind on things. Now, listen, folks, this one is your responsibility. It's my responsibility. It's not anybody else's responsibility. If I don't get anything out of the church service, it's my problem. It's your problem. It's a command, folks. Go out differently than you came. And that's what each one of us should pay attention when God says, this is how I want worship to be. When you come, you don't go out the same door you came in. You go out a different door. Amen. <clears throat> By the way, this is, <clears throat> this is the main idea of what I wanted to bring, talking about, okay, how to make this practical for 2019. This is, you know, in this chapter, this is the main thought. It's kind of like a <clears throat> Wolf Creek. If you've ever eaten at Wolf Creek Lodge or Wolf Creek Steakhouse in Idaho, uh, 
my goodness, I, I don't even want to talk about it. I mean, the food is there, so just so over the top. The steak there is just, ah, it's, it's heavenly steak. If you're a vegetarian, I'm sorry for you. But anyway, oh, man, the steak is what, you know what? At Wolf Creek, they have a, a shrimp skewer that's really good, you know, and it's a side thing. They've got uh, baked beans that you'll n- never eat anyway. It's very good. They have this crumble bread, you know, and it's, it's, it's amazing. And with honey, it's just, wow. It's like, but you want to know something? That's not what I go to Wolf Creek for. You know what I go to Wolf Creek for? The steak. That's what it's noted for. That's the main thing. Folks, this is the main thing tonight. This is what I want to get at, okay? Every service, every service, leave with something. Leave listening to the Lord be affected by what he wants you to do. By, by the changes that he wants to see, in your, by the challenges that the, that the God of the universe in accepting our worship, he says, be challenged every time. Be amended every time. Pay attention. So number one, the worship day is different. Number two, the worshiper's demeanor should be different. And then number three, the worshipped deity is different. Is different than all the others around and the false gods. Ezekiel 46, verse number 8. And when the prince shall enter, he shall go in by the way of the porch of that gate, and he shall go forth by the way thereof. Now, it's, he, he didn't have the same instructions that everybody else has. See, the same rules don't apply for him. He's different. And I think that's because the prince, I know the, the prince here in context is speaking about the king of Israel at the time, but the ultimate king is going to be sitting on David's throne, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at what verse 12 says, Ezekiel 46, 12. Now when the prince shall prepare a voluntary burnt offering or peace offerings, voluntary unto the Lord, one shall then open him the gate that looketh toward the east. So now we're talking about the eastern gate. And he shall prepare his burnt offerings and his peace offerings as he did on the Sabbath day. Then he shall go forth, and after his going forth, one shall shut the gate. So this prince is, is privileged. He didn't have the rules that everybody else has. No, no. He has one entrance that's, that's exclusively his. And when he goes through, the gates are shut. Nobody goes through that gate except the prince. The king was to make a unique entrance through this eastern gate. Only he was to go through it. This is a foreshadowing of the prophecy of the Messiah coming through that gate. Ezekiel 44, just prior to this, Ezekiel 44, 1. Then he brought me back the way of the gate of the outward sanctuary with looketh toward the east, and it was shut. Talking about the eastern gate. Then said the Lord unto me, The gate shall be shut, it shall not be opened, and no man shall enter in by it, because the Lord, the God of Israel, hath entered in by it. Therefore it shall be shut. It is for the prince, the prince. He shall sit in it to eat bread before the Lord. He shall enter by the way of the porch of that gate and shall go out by the way of the same. This prince is a reference of the coming Messiah, the one to sit on the throne of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. I know the immediate applications talk about the king or the prince of Israel at the time, but it's a reference, obviously, it's the king of kings that goes through this gate. This is a special event, a special occurrence, and, and it's exclusive. It's different. I'm telling you, folks, uh, the, the worship deity is different than any other deity. It's a, it's a, a reference of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we were in Jerusalem, we saw this eastern gate. And if you see a picture of it, um, and it's got these big arches, but it's all cemented in. 
the wall on that side, if you, you're from the Mount of Olives, you can see that wall. Mount of Olives, and there's this kind of this uh, uh, field, and then you see the eastern gate. And uh, it's a, a, a real picturesque, you know, have you ever seen Jerusalem, pictures of Jerusalem? That's the picture that they show. And the eastern gate is walled over, it's cemented over. Uh, you can get closer to that from the inside, but it's very, very guarded. And when we were in Jerusalem, we saw that eastern gate. It was highly guarded. When we were on the inside, Charlie Benjamin, he was our tour guide. He spoke uh, Arabic. It was amazing. He took us way close to it. Our Jewish guide of 30 years says, okay, now there's the eastern gate. We could see this from this, this balcony. There's the eastern gate way down there. And we, we all looked at it. And uh, anybody here with me when we went to that Israel trip? Okay, one, uh, just one or two, yeah? Okay, that's it. Um, and we're, we're up on this balcony. We're looking down to the eastern gate. Wait a minute. Where's, where's your wife? She's in the nursery. Okay. Uh, she was there because I remember what she said. I'm going to talk about that in just a second. But anyway, so here we are. We're on this balcony, and, and, and the, the guide was saying, uh, yeah, down there, it's, uh, the eastern gate is down there, you know, whatever. And he was a Jew. He didn't really uh, know the, the prophecies of the Lord Jesus Christ coming through that, but he knew a little bit about the Messiah. He, they don't recognize the Messiah, but the Messiah shall come through that gate. Anyway, and he says, well, we can't get near there. And Charlie says, why? Come on, follow me. And he just goes down there, and here's this guide. He's going, well, well no, 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 we can't do that. There's guards, these guys with Uzis on their, on their back. And, and Charlie just walks right down there and says, and they, they speak to him, and he goes down there, and he speaks to somebody else. And he says, come on, come on, guys. And he, he got us all the way down to the gate. You remember that? All the way down to the gate. And it was amazing. The, the tour guide said, I have been a tour guide here in Israel for 30-some years. I've never been this close to the Eastern Gate. This is a big deal, folks. That was really cool. <laughs> so, thanks, Charlie. That was, that was really neat. Anyway, um, when we were there, they sealed that gate. And, and this is uh, what the, what the, the Jewish uh, guides would say. <coughs> the, the Eastern Gate was concreted shut by the Muslims who knew of the Bible prophecy. And they wanted to prevent the Jewish Messiah from going through it and fulfilling the promise of God. Because they read the same scripture that I just read to you. The king shall go through this. It's going to be shut. Nobody goes through that gate. But the king is going to go through that. And here's the Muslims. They said, we don't believe in your God. We don't believe in your scriptures. We're going to just go ahead and, and wall it over so nobody can go. So nobody can use it. And that's why they, they concreted it. And it's concreted shut. And... Uh, not only did they seal the gate, this is what they did. They placed a cemetery adjacent to the outside of it so that no holy high priest could get in to the gate without defiling himself because they knew that the Messiah was supposed to be the king and the, and the priest. And so since he was going to be a high priest, he can't defile himself. So they put a cemetery there so he can't get to the gate. That's what they did. And that's, that's the, the reasoning. It's all foolish superstition, really what it is, you know. When Jesus returns, he's going to place his foot down on the Mount of Olives and create a valley there, Zechariah 14, 4. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof towards the east and towards the west, and there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. Thus, the removal of that cemetery anyway. <laughs> How about that? Or even not. 
I remember when we were, when we were sitting there looking at that gate and your wife, Becky, she says, well, Dad, that's kind of foolish because everywhere that Jesus went, he raised the dead. So he could just raise the dead in that field so he wouldn't have to con- be in contact with dead bodies. <laughs> I said, bravo, kid. That's right. And so he didn't have to be touching dead bodies. Amen. <laughs> Talk about Muslim superstitions and their limited God, at least the way that they see our God, because their God is, they're limited. There's a, there's a fear of, in, in some sects, not, not in all of uh, Islam, but in, in some of it, there's a fear of being defiled by pigs in their death. And then if they are, they're in contact with uh, pigs or things from pigs or pig's blood, swine's blood, then Allah would reject them in the afterlife and not allow them into their heaven. If you remember, not uh, a couple years ago, uh, our president now, he was president-elect, he was telling stories of General Pershing in the Philippines who ordered his soldiers to dip their bullets in swine's blood before Muslim executions to damn them forever. And when this story was fact-checked by Snopes, Snopes gives it a blatantly false rating, not false, Trump's lying. Folks, be careful about trusting liberal-based fact-checking organizations like Snopes. I don't even want to you know, get into that politically thing, but uh, yeah, Snopes is that way. They're very uh, left-leaning. But they deemed it false. I mean, it, it wasn't not mostly false or not like, well, there's some truth to this. No, no. If you, if you check out this, this story in Snopes, false. It's false. He lied. It's absolutely false. But upon further investigation, I came up with what Snopes conveniently left out of their portrayal of the president's stories. I quote, In 1941, Time ran a letter to the editor from a soldier named J.R. McKee who had served with General Pershing in the Philippines decades before. In the letter, McKay describes using pigs in burial to deter Muslim insurgent activities. But he does not ascribe the act to Pershing. McKee wrote his words, I quote, U.S. soldiers had a pretty good cure for juramentado, those are moral swordsmen, uh, juramentado activities. Knowing the horror of the Mohammedan for any contact with swine, and particularly with its blood, these American roughnecks, when they had killed a juramentado, held for him a very public funeral. The body of the defunct man having been deposited in the grave, a pig was brought, was brought stuck, its blood sprinkled freely over the, the man, the dead pig thrown in with him, and the burial completed. Some reports do say that Pershing was engaged in burying Muslims with pigs or throwing pigs' blood on them. According to the History News Network, a Chicago Daily Tribune article from 1927 describes Pershing sprinkling prisoners with pig's blood, then setting them free to warn others of being doused with the blood. He said this, his words, I quote, Those drops of porcine gore proved more powerful than bullets, the article wrote. Christopher Capalozzo, a history professor at Massachusetts Institute of Technology, also cited an incident in which Pershing, Pershing brought a pig's head to a ceasefire negotiation with a Muslim leader. And so they conclude this. So yes, and the, I'm just reading the words that they're, they're admitting. So yes, 
there were deliberate efforts to offend Muslim Filipinos' religious sensibilities. Kapozala uh, 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 told Time, and yes, there was large-scale violence against their communities, but I know of no event like the one that Mr. Trump describes. Okay, okay, so with... There were deliberate attempts at offering Muslim terrorists or offending Muslim terrorists and large-scale acts of violence of this religious nature. Is that much of a stretch to concede of the possibility of the bullet story in question? Not being recorded by Pershing himself in his official memoirs because that's where Snopes checks and says, well, Pershing never wrote about this. And so it's, it, it's just, it's, it's not true. Well, I'm not so sure about that. Now, it's another example of the president's enemies rushing to condemn him in any and every way that they can. And they always do that, and they will, and they'll continue to be doing that, whatever. I just picked this up. This was, this was interesting. Listen to this article. Glycerin, as known as glycerin and glycerol, is reacted with strong nitric acid and a little sulfuric acid across nickel catalyst to produce nitroglycerin. You heard of nitroglycerin. You know what that is, which is obviously explosive. Glycerin is derived from many animal and plant sources where it occurs as a triglyceride, which is a sort of a generic fat. So yes, some unknown amount of pig fat could be used to produce glycerin that made its way into nitroglycerin-based explosives and propellants. (laughs) <laughs> the reason why I said that is Ted Nugent said this, if you know who that is. He said this, I quote, When a suicide bomber blows himself up, his body parts are impregnated with gelatin and glycerin from the explosive. Both gelatin and glycerin are manufactured, manufactured from pigs worldwide. Ergo, they will never be accepted by Allah. <laughs> oh, it's not funny. It's not funny. Oh, they missed their heaven. That's just too bad, I guess. <laughs> I'm sorry. I should. You know what? I'm going to have to use that altar after this. <laughs> hey, folks, there's no amount of effort that can keep the Messiah from fulfilling prophecies of his return and his going through that door and his victory over his enemies. The one we, sh- we worshiped is way different than these other limited gods. He's not limited as other false gods. Because we have a unique worship. In Isaiah chapter 44, verse number 24, this is what he said. This is what God says. He says, Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, and he that formed thee from the womb, I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself, that, notice what he says here, that frustrateth the tokens of the liars. <laughs> I like to. I'm thinking of people that try to wall up walls and put cemeteries and and stop him from doing what he says he's going to do. He 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 frustrates the tokens of the liars and maketh diviners mad. That turneth wise men backward and maketh their knowledge foolish. That con- confirmeth the word of his servants and performeth the counsel of his message. Listen, when God says I'm going to do something, He's going to do it. Nobody's going to stop him. You know why? Because he's different than any other deity. Amen. So we have a unique worship. Folks, in 2019, we've got to remember, when we worship the Lord, the worship day should be different. Different than any other day. It should be different in our attitudes when we come to the house of God. 
the worshiper's demeanor. That's what we think about things and how we, how we react and, and how we're, we're challenged. Our demeanor should be different, should be challenged and changed and amended because the worshiper's deity is different. He's different. Because our God is different, folks, let's move into 2019 and worship the way that he wants us to worship. Every head bowed. Nobody looking for just a moment. Lord, thank you so much for your work.